Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Right, here we go. And Father, we do ask, thank you your presence is here. But Lord, we ask that we begin to see you in a different way, a different facet of you, something we haven't seen before. And uh, Father, I started this morning talking about fun. Can we have some fun, Lord? Can we um, yeah, just be, be so filled with Holy Spirit power that we're ready to be unleashed locally and globally, Lord? Because Lord, you said we must go wherever we are. And so we ask for the power and the courage and the excitement in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I'll start with a verse again. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he delegated the authority. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And what struck me with... Um, these verses is when they saw him they worshipped him but some doubted and he didn't say to the doubting ones well this is not for you I'm going to commission the rest but this is not for you he commissioned the whole lot doubters and all so if there's any doubters here today it's okay you are commissioned it's okay to doubt and to question and get hold of God and say yes but what about, he loves it. He loves a good old debate. He always wins. <laughs> and you know, I read this, as I, as I said in the beginning, I take the, the Bible quite literally, really. And when it said, now go, from where I became a Christian, um, I'd grown up in a house, uh, in a denomination, And so we went to church every Sunday. We were very good, but we weren't a Christian family at all. Um, And then, you know, I became a disciple of Jesus later on. And uh, when I started reading the Bible then, before that, our house was full of Bibles, so I would read the Bible and was dry as dust. Didn't understand it, didn't get it. But the moment I was born again, I understood and I read the gospel to see, you know, what have I done? This commitment, what does it mean? And I wanted to get the, the gospel in my mind because I had this passion to tell others, oh, I found something. And it, that changed me. And so um, I want to tell others. So I had to go to the gospels to see, what must I tell them? I had no idea. And so I got the gospel clear in my own mind And then after I'd been born again for about two weeks, the most wonderful Baptist friend of ours brought a book to me by Catherine Kuhlman, if you've ever heard of her. 
You can go on YouTube and have a look. And it was called, I Believe in Miracles. And as I read the stories, I thought, oh, so that's what we do. It just, it was the most natural thing because I'd grown up in Sunday school with Noah and all of them. And suddenly everything made sense, the gospels. And then these things that we do as a natural part of being a Christian is what Catherine Kuhlman was doing and seeing the sick healed and people being saved and so on. So I took it as a given. This is what we do. And so at first I was local, um, going to shopping centers, as I said, and going to houses and so on. But I grew up in a South Africa that was racially divided, apartheid, was massive. Uh, if I tell you, I can't, I don't have time to tell you how divided it was. But just one thing, say, say I went to the post office, the one door would be for white people, or we were called Europeans. Um, and the other door was for non-Europeans. And if I went in the European side, it had a carpet and so on. And if you go in the non-European side, there was just floor and so on. Say there was someone behind the counter selling stamps. And say I was 10 years old, and I went to the counter... And the person behind the counter was serving uh, a tata, an older man of 60, and he was black, then that man would be left to serve me because of the superior race kind of thing. I mean, it's shocking. It is things that um, you guys probably don't even know about. Older, older people here would know something of it, but the extent of it was so massive, we grew up in a nation of fear. The races feared each other and hated each other, really. Um, and we were in a cell group, which we had... In South Africa, you get black and you get white, but then you get mixed race in the, in the middle, um, who we would call colored. So mixed race is not a term you use in South Africa. It's quite derogatory, whereas here it's the right thing to say. And it's, that's a bit mind-blowing, you know? Um, and so we were in a, in a cell group in which our leaders were actually mixed race, which was quite unusual. And um, on a day, they brought a black couple to our home who had, whose shack had been burnt in the township. And... Um, it was the first time, really, that I had had uh, people of color in my, my home like that um, to Bible study or whatever. And um, it was quite brilliant, scary, because it wasn't allowed. If we were breaking the law, really, by having people of another race or a black race come into our home. So it was very scary. Um, but then at the coffee break, I went to the, the mama and I just said, it's very good to have her in my home and so on. And she, without a challenge, said to me, well, I've come to your home and in our culture, you must then come to our home. And so I asked her where she lived and she named the most awful township in Cape Town, the, most, the one with the most um, security police action, the most dangerous and so on. 
And so uh, with my mouth, I said, okay. <laughs> and in my head, I thought, no way on this whole earth. It, because number one, you're breaking the law. Number two, very scary. Very scary to cross something where you're not allowed to go and where you've been told from small that if you do it, you'll be killed. Um, when she left, I thought, well, that's the end of that. But it bugged me that I'd lied. You can just see how the Holy Spirit had got hold of me. And um, in the end, the, you know, the following day, I thought, oh, well, let me make a plan. South Africans, that's our saying, we're going to make a plan. Let's make a plan. So I thought, let's make a plan. And I phoned my friend Joy, who had only been in the township once. And so we organized to go into the township. I was so scared that, um, as I said, I've got three daughters who were small then, and I arranged for our cell group where to pick them up from school in case I didn't return. And got in the car I drove with the sweat pouring off me from fear. So, you know, it sounds like, whoa, rah, rah, but it's sometimes the cost is pretty high. And... I didn't want to do it, but I couldn't not because, you know, the Holy Spirit in us is wonderful. He just gives the ability to do stuff that we are unable to do in our own strength. And we went, there was one road into the township, and there were all the government vehicles, um, you know, it's like big tanks, big army, very intimidating, standing along the road with the security police. And I hoped that they would stop me and send me home so that I could say to the Lord, I did try. Do you see? Oh, how we manipulate and, and cop out. Eh? But, but God blocked their eyes or they yawned as we went past and we got into the township. And even though I'd seen on the TV what a township looked like, it was still quite surprising for me. Um, I thought that if someone was going to kill me, I could wheel spin away and drive off on the tarred road. But there was no tarred road. It was sand and, and the shacks. And the shacks were all on top of each other. And I think for the first time, you know when you see it on a TV or you see it in a newspaper, whether I'm talking about the townships or we're talking about Syria or the Ukraine or whatever, it, it's different when you go there and you feel the atmosphere. And um, as, I, as Joy and I, very frightened, still went into the township, people came. You know, we expected not to be liked. I wouldn't like me for what white people did. And the laws of the... I wouldn't like me at all. I would boot me out. Let me tell you, we were welcomed. We were hugged. We were... There's a special handshake you do in the townships. It was done to us immediately, which was, we accept you. I mean, wow, what a miracle. And we were taken into the shack, but it was narrow little alleyways. And I looked for my car, and I couldn't see it, so I knew there was no getaway. And, and, and you know, it's, 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 quite a, it's quite traumatic. And I'm just saying, Lord, Lord, this is for you, kind of. Um, <laughs> um, 
And in the, the actual house, shack, it's corrugated iron, not black plastic and so on. Um, we were welcomed in and the tea was out there and so on. Had our cups of tea. Every time a shadow came across the door, I thought, ah, I'm going to be killed. Very real. You know, it's, it's amusing now, but it's very real. Very, very real. But it was people coming to look at these mad white women. Because nobody did this. Security police were white and some black or mixed race, but majority white. And maybe very radically politicized, the white people were in. Or, the, you know, the Catholics, they had white priests, bless them, in the townships, in the churches, with the courage to be there. But not your ordinary Joe Bloggs kind of in the streets. So they were fascinated by these two whiteies, umlungus, who'd come in. And, um, and then they took us around the township. And it was, you know, one bucket system toilet for 400 people. And one tap outside for 400 people. So the mamas would have arthritis up their arms because of having to do the washing uh, with the cold water. And, you know, it's Africa. But let me tell you that Africa, Cape Town, gets cold in winter, believe it or not. And so it's frozen. And the shacks, there's no heating. And so the shacks are frozen. And people would make fires inside in braziers. And so the lungs were affected. And it was, it was awful to see. And this was the condition done by our government, by South Africans, by white South Africans, and so on. Anyway, it broke my heart, um, but I wasn't going to go back because, well, I've done it now, that's it. But the Tata, the man of the house, said to me, well, when you come next week... Will you prepare a verse and we'd prepare a verse? And again, my silly mouth said, okay. And my head said, no way. But I got home and I was, I was so pleased to be safe. Picked up my kids from school and they said, what did you do all day? I thought, it's hard to explain. Well, I couldn't explain to them really. And um, Greg knew where I was, but he, uh, he was... Afraid yet full of joy, nervously afraid, um, and yet God had put grace on him to say, "Well, just go and be safe." Go and, but I'm not going," he said. "But you go and be safe." Um, the next day, I went up the side of Table Mountain um, to go and meet with God in a quiet place where you, you know it's quite high up, and you can sing and shout and so on. And I said to God. Did you see where I went yesterday? Like, of course he would know. And he said to me, yes, and I've prepared it for you. And I thought, no way. No way. The panic, the panic that came on me, and I tried to manipulate, and I said, Lord, I'll do anything else. I will, and I named all kinds of things that I could do. And he just said to me, and I was shaking. And he said, you like jelly. I can't use you like jelly. And he said, stand on your feet. So I stood up. And you know, it's those 
It must probably took a split, split second, but it seemed like forever that God was speaking to me. And, um, and he said, now, you ask for forgiveness for your part in apartheid, and I will use you. And you see, I'd never blatantly harmed anybody, said anything, but we grew up in a racist society, so it was there. It was just there. And in this nation, there's still racism too. It's just there. It's there, without us even realizing that it's there. And, um, and you see, the Bi- uh, not the Bible, but people have said, um, evil prospers when good men do nothing. And I did nothing, and we did nothing. So I asked for forgiveness. And then God said, I'll use you, and here's a tip. Don't look at the big picture. One person at a time. Go for one person at a time. Because so often we look at the big picture and the big church plant and what we're going to do, but actually it's one person at a time. And so the next week, I did go back, and this time I had to go alone. And I, I did prepare a scripture because I wanted people to be saved so that my whole being is to link people to Jesus. It's like a, there's a, you know, a, a, a socket and get plugged in. And even Christians, we are plugged in, but I want to put another plug of power and so on. Um, so I thought, if I can plug people in, then the one can tell the other and the gospel will spread, then I don't have to come back. Everything was about, but it was about me and my whole attitude um, and fear and my own background. I came from a racist home and my own background um, just told me that's not for you. But I went into the township by myself, um, and you can see, you know, may I say, the power of God is amazing. What he prepares before time, he puts everything in us already. And so it's not, now I wait. Lord, I'm going to wait at home until you come and take all fear away, until you come and. It's not like that. Because he's already put everything in me, and I had to slowly work it out. And as I worked it out, step by step, it grew. Do you see? Um, so I went in and I had prepared John three sixteen, the famous one, for God so loved the world, so that I could get people saved. Um, and when it was my turn to bring my verse, I dutifully gave it, most probably as cold and unfeeling as anything, like, get saved, people, so I can go. I want to live, you know. And um, uh, the Tata, the man, read his scripture, was from 1 Peter. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. You see, people had suffered and they knew this was a Christian home and they'd they'd invited what I call pre-Christians into the home. But even the pre-Christians who didn't know God, there was a suffering and a looking to to God in a way um, which I knew nothing about. And I'd gone in with my shoulders, very fearful, but shoulders back. But I left with something broken inside me for the community um, because I'd been so humbled by my own harshness and attitude and mind. And I needed the forgiveness and the help from the people who I'd actually been told were not worth anything. And it's cruel, harsh things 
um, that was done in our nation. It took me, I did go back over, it, I actually was there for 20 years, I was only going for a day. Um, but you know, in the process, I learned things. I went into the township and I did what I did, but do you know what I learned from people in the township? They made me, I stand here today in honor of the people in the township who accepted me and taught me cross-culture, I had no idea. How could I know? Didn't know how to present myself, didn't know how to speak, had no idea the language. We weren't allowed to mention um, even uh, Zulu or Isikosa words that we uh, heard from our servants, you know. Um, we weren't allowed to mention them. And, um, and so I went in and I said to God, I don't know the language. And you see, we use excuses. I can't learn a language. I don't know the language and so on. And when God has prepared something for you, he actually opens the way. And what he said to me is, find the man of peace. And so I opened up quite a few townships and was so well accepted. And I would drive in and say, Lord, where's the man of peace? And I remember going once and um, drove down a road and eventually God said, now turn right, drive down, there's your man of peace. And it was actually a woman sitting on her uh, little veranda thing with hands like this. And I got out, chatted to her. And it, you know what amazed me was the acceptance of me and uh, gave her the gospel and led her to the Lord. Um, I'd been in the township a number of years by then. And afterwards she told me that she was actually on her way to commit suicide. Now, we were home in Cape Town for Christmas and there she's still in the church like 15 years later. You think, yes, faithful and loyal and part of the kids' work and so on. But really, I saw God do the most incredible things because of my, I was alone for a number of years. I was alone because nobody would come near me. I lost my wider family in the process because I'd become weird. Um, and being alone, I would get quite uptight. So where's the church? And I was in a very good church. Where's the church? You know, they should be backing me. And uh, would be quite annoyed and also very annoyed with white people. Uh, because I saw what white people were doing and then would see the suffering of black people, then go into the white areas back home and see, you know, the trolleys and the supermarket, when well, I'd be so angry until God said to me, this is not good. You've got to ask for forgiveness for this because you're going to be the bridge. I can't trust you with white people if this is how you're going to be. Um, and so I had to learn how to love white people and myself again, really, for what was there. Uh, a whole different ball game. Um, but because of desperation and being alone, and years later I looked back and I realized God, who is sovereign, he could have opened the floodgates for me of food and money and so on. You see, when we go to the poor... We get so heartbroken that we want to give and it wants to flow from the hands. 
And um, God kept on saying to me, do not create dependence. Do not create dependence. And so he blocked people off and the church off from giving me help. Because otherwise I would have been the great white help. Instead I had to go in with nothing. And he said he wants me to be known as the person with, with nothing in my hands but Jesus in my mouth. That's scary. Because when we read it in our comfortable surroundings, it's one thing. When you go, when there are thousands of people and nobody's got food and jobs and so on, and there's oppression and the security police are coming with their matches and their, and their water cannons, matches to burn and water cannons to shoot you right off your feet, it's a different story. You stand there and you think, well, I read this in the Bible, but now is it real? And you know it's real, but is it real? And I would say, Lord, you put me here, you better come. And I, I learned a relationship with God, which was um, not all good and clean and fresh. And oh, Lord Jesus, will you? You know that nice praying? It was, Lord, you said, you said, what are you going to do? Because I was so desperate. And he always came. He always came. And when I spoke about Jesus who heals and delivers and so on, people believed me and they would come and stand in queues waiting for prayer. And I would just say, Lord, help. Because my faith was about that big. But people believed. And I watched with my mouth open as blind saw and the deaf heard. And you think, what is this? But it's... (laughs) It's, but this is the, number one is the power of God in us, not us. And then people caught it and they started praying for each other. Because I'd, by then I'd, I'd led quite a number of people to the Lord. Um, because people were desperate and hungry for something more than what life was. And um, I think why God, and maybe this is where the cross culture comes in. In our townships... Um, there was a way of thinking because it's one culture. Even though people are different, people more or less think the same. And in the white culture, it was the same. So God took somebody out of the one culture to put them in another one so that I could say, but we know when they said the security police are coming and they're going to um, burn our shacks or whatever, at first I would be all horrified um, But then I realized a lot of it was rumor, and fear was bred through rumor. So I had to say, okay, who said that to you? And we would have to find the root of it and find that it was nonsense. So it was breaking strongholds of the mind. And so each nation needs other nations to come in. Like in South Africa, we had many British people come and work with me in the townships. And I needed them to break, we've got a, we had, I mustn't say God, had a poverty mentality in South Africa, and I think it is in our being, really. And I needed British people, where it's not, it, it's not like that, to say, why do you think like that? And I think we are here to say, why do you think in some ways? And we need each other. That's why my title, The Church Unleashed Globally, We actually need each other. We need to leave our homes 
so that we can go and make a difference in other places. The thing is that, you know, when you leave home and go to another place, um, now let me just say everybody doesn't leave home. Uh, God calls you in your own, you know, local or global. And from the moment you're born again, you're a missionary. When you go globally, that doesn't make you a missionary. That's just what God prepared for you. Do you see? From the moment you're born again, you're on a mission. It's not here come the missionaries. From uh, We all, if you're born again, you're a missionary. But, um, but God prepares global things for people to go, um, to go in with a different mindset, to go in with power, um, I worked with a man, I was on his team uh, uh, before in our church, and he would call it the overseas anointing, because something happened of great courage when we stepped into other situations. It's the most interesting thing. Um, you think different. You, you've got to think on your feet. Your dependence on Jesus is different. A very, very different. You become desperate. And so a power comes through that is quite incredible. And, and really, I saw that power come through. Um, what I did in the townships, what I saw, and when I went back to our church, was, it was different. Because actually, the signs and wonders and power is for the nations. We do it here, but this isn't the final, this is just the practice ground it is for the nations, for people who have never seen anything like this before. Well, in the process of being in the townships, um, at first God protected me from security police involvement and they didn't know who I was, but then eventually my car going in and out, they found the number plate and so the harassment was quite interesting, very scary. I lived on tenterhooks all the time. And uh, my friends in the townships lived on bigger tenterhooks because of what was happening there. But may I say to you, I saw God come through. I saw him change our nation. I saw him use me, the church. Uh, the church, not only our movement of church, but the church in general in such a way, that's why my passion for the church is, come on, we can make a difference in any nation. Um, I just saw God do the most incredible things. Um, and I felt his presence, his power. Because in Isaiah 58, he says, if you give yourself for the poor and the oppressed, you will call and I will say, here am I. I mean, if that isn't, that is a very close walk. That is very, very, very close. Um, I led a, a, a lot of people to the Lord, and that's where I started discipling, and then eventually on a Sunday went through to do the preach and so on. And I didn't know what I was doing, and it grew around me. And you just think, God's plans, we don't know what we're up to. It doesn't matter if you don't know, because he's got it all planned, and we take one step at a time because he's an exciting, exciting God. And he just loves to use us um, to, to bring compassion, glory to his name. I'll, I'll give you one of the stories, um, which is most unusual. 
But I and one of the guys who I was training up to actually take over one of my church plants, um, we were in the township and we were called to one of the shacks. And, um, and wherever there's a call, we were there to see what was going on. Isn't it wonderful when you get called to do signs and wonders? When people know, because people said to me, they'd already heard that when the red car is around, go and go, you will find Jesus there. And you think, isn't that incredible? Isn't that? And, and really that's written over all of us. Where we go, people can come and find Jesus. And, um, and anyway, we went in the shack and there was this little, little girl of about six or seven with a stomach massive and tight and hard. She was so bottled up with worms that she had been sent home from school really to die because no medicine could move anything anymore. And um, worms is a problem because it's in the sand, you know, uh, little eggs are in the sand and the kids run barefoot and, and gets in the cuts and it travels up the bloodstream, can get in the lungs, in the brain and so on. And, and the child was lying there listless and looked very close to death. And all we know is lay hands on and it looked totally impossible. And in my mind, I'm thinking, we are so stupid. And because that's what the enemy says. You are so stupid to do this. And we, but we laid hands on the belly of this child and said, Lord, come, do something with the worms. And we said, worms die in the name of Jesus. And then we went thinking, well, what's going to happen there? Or will something happen? It's not a big, great faith thing. We didn't walk in this big faith cloud. It's like, wonder what he'll do. I wonder if... Anyway, we went back the next day. And the mama came with a, a, a clear wine bottle full of water with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of worms in it. She had kept it a number of bottles. She had kept it because that night all the worms came out. And, and it's, I tell this story because it's so unusual. It's like we pray for the sick for, you know, the normal stuff. But this is, we, we, we need to go beyond the normal. Um, my back is sore, now pray. And I'm not against that. But there's, our God is bigger. He can do anything. And we were given those bottle, bottles of worms as trophies of what the power of... But isn't that amazing? The trophies of the power of God. Let me tell you, we then had a worm ministry because we had to go in, into the clinics all over to get rid of the worms. But it's the grace of God. We can... <laughs> you see Matt's face. <laughs> but it is. We can do anything. And in us is the power to bring release to anything, anybody. So another time I went into a shack and I had um, uh, one of, a, a young man from the UK with me who now elders one of the churches around and went in, led the mother, father to the Lord. And then I said, what must we ask Jesus to do for you? And the man said, well, my, now cars were not big at that time in the township. My car, which I've used as a taxi, was in an accident, and so asked Jesus to fix it. Oh, okay. So we prayed, Lord, will you fix the car? When this guy and I went outside, we thought, hmm, it was like a concertina in the front. 
And we had prayed for this car, and you feel stupid. And we went around the corner to have a laugh at ourselves for being so stupid. I didn't go back for about two or three days because I was too scared of the answer. <laughs> when we got back, the car was gone. So I went into the mama and said, so the car at the garage, what happened? She said, oh, but you prayed. And when we went outside, it was pulled out. And you know, for about five years after that, we could see the car riding around and it had rust marks because God left the rust marks there to remind us that we'd laughed like Sarah, you know, the Sarah laugh, um, how God had pulled it out. Because you see, God wants to do more than we could ask or imagine. And he wants to blow our minds um, in the power that is in us to actually do these things. And uh, I, I used to say to God, give me a book to read about crossing culture. I have no idea to do it. And he said, no, you're writing the book. As in you are learning, I will tell you. And every day, it was the dependence on God, you see. If I hadn't, if I knew it all, I would have gone in as a know-all, but I knew nothing. And God made me so dependent on him and on people. At first, I couldn't speak the language, so I needed somebody with me all the time, which made me the dependent one. Isn't God clever? Isn't he so very, very clever? Um, He overthrew the whole law of South Africa in the most marvelous ways, and he does this. And you see, this is the role of the church, We are the people who bring light and hope. Um, We have a meat in South Africa called biltong, which is raw dried meat, heavily salted, and then it's hung out for weeks to dry. Now, we quite fancy it, but it's... uh, I I think maybe some people won't like it. Um, But anyway, when you eat biltong... Your lips go all wrinkled from the salt. You've got to drink water. You have to. Now, to me, when I read, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Do you know, we are the people who need to be so salty that we make the world thirsty because they get wrinkled and they're so thirsty that they have to drink. And to me, that's how I see us. That's how I saw my role and then my friend's role. Um, Do you know what it's like to be in another culture, so accepted, and seeing people rise up in glory in church plants and become the pastors and the elders and the leaders? And You just think, what happened here? One of my best friends in the township, when I first met her, she hated white, she was very political, hated white people, with such a passion, and I don't blame her, that if a white person was walking down the road and she was walking down the road, she would push the white person into the street hoping a car would ride over them. Um, I'd been in the township for a while, and so I knew a thing or two, and I'd been very politically involved by then too. And we became, I led her to the Lord, and we became very good friends. Um, I had the honor of hearing, when we came to the UK in 2006, she actually stood for parliament. Now, when I met her, 
She was uneducated, you know, because of the laws. A nobody. And God made her as somebody. She didn't win, but my friend stood for parliament. Isn't that exciting? Now, to me, that is church planting. That is seeing people grow in ways that are astounding. The Apostle Paul is known for his church planting adventures. The New Testament speaks of at least 50 cities visited by him during his at least five missionary journeys. His ministry ran from around 37 AD when he was roughly 31 years old, right up to his martyrdom at the hands of Rome in 68 AD. It seems that Paul may have planted between 14 and 20 churches. Oh, doesn't that just give you saliva in the mouth, huh? But it is, it's wonderful. With many more not being recorded. Out of these, many churches were planted. He did, he did this while tent making, which is totally amazing. When Paul died, he not only left some church plants, he left the DNA of a movement that would eventually spread to the extent that even the Roman Empire itself would surrender to Christianity. History was changed in dramatic fashion through this one man's obedience. And how many Pauls and Lydias are sitting in this room today who are going to change history? I know my friends and I played a part in changing history in South Africa. And we were nothings and nobodies, the 72. And yet we were part of this, as it was called, the struggle. And when we, when we go back to Cape Town, we get together, it is, do you remember when? Do you remember when the security police came and blew us off our feet? Do you remember how we ran and hid away? Do you remember? And it's all exciting now, but it wasn't, it wasn't exciting then. The thread of mission runs right throughout the Bible, from the Old Testament right into the New Testament. We see God sending his people on mission to inhabit the nations, to do them good and to bring blessing to them. In Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you know what? It's going to be done. We can reckon on it. The gospel is going to be preached throughout the nations. Even if we get news of things happening around the world, we think, what's going on? What's happening to Christianity? Christianity will never die. Have you ever read the book of Revelation? We win and we won and we're winning. Do you see? That is our hope. We might be martyrs because I always expected to be a martyr. Um, I thought I would die in the townships. And God just said to me, if I allow you, he didn't say you won't. He said, if I, if I allow you to die in the townships, I'll, I'll, I'll let you die. I'll give you the grace to die well. And I had to be happy with that. And I would wake up in the morning thinking, do I have the grace? I don't have the grace. So I would go in and be very brave because you know what? If it's not your day, you can do anything. No one can harm me. I mean it. No one can harm you. Um, And I would test with the grace. It was more important for God to say to me, he would give me grace than you're not going to die. 
Because that grace just kept me going. I wonder if you'll stand, please. Holy Spirit. Whoa, Holy Spirit. I want to ask, Father, where maybe people were nervous or thinking, I'm too scared, or, but that's not for me, or I would like to, but I'm not called. And you know, Lord, I still don't feel very called, called. We are all called. Um, Father, will you come and bring a stirring now? Father, will you stir those who will be staying to unleash, be unleashed in whichever uh, town, city, road, street, work? Will you give them confidence to, to be everything, to be the witness, to let the, the aroma of Christ ooze off them? And then, Lord, those you've called globally. Father, I want to ask for great power now. Something to have settled. I know I told a story, but Lord, in that story, Father, will you use bits and pieces to move something in people's hearts? Father, to get a joy, to see the power of the church, to get the radical edge of the gospel the radical edge of Jesus, just the compassion for people to go and bring a rescue job, the, the, the compassion not to go and do or let's go and change them, but to go to nations so that nations can change us, really, because we've got lots to learn, lots to learn. I want to ask, Father, Holy Spirit, come and do something in us. For the next minute, just be quiet and let God speak. Let God speak. Let's see what happens.